0: So I kind of like go on that same tack it's like if there if there could only be one religion represented in the halls of government Satanism is it like that's
1: it. <laughs> that's that's,
2: <laughs> that's about right that's about yeah what do, you, what, do you, what religion you best feel represents government yeah worshiping Satan yeah 100% Exactly.
1: Yes. he's, he's He's, really, he's very at home there. That's where, that's where he
2: falls.
3: Welcome to the All American Savage Show podcast with your host John Burke and his far more attractive co-host me. Now let's get into it. That's what your mom said. <laughs>
2: Welcome back to the All American Savage Show podcast. I am your host, John Burke. Happy to have you with us here today. Got a very, very special guest. Uh, you know him. You probably hate him. Some of you probably hate him, just based upon where you stand. I, I love oh, it's Austin Peterson. Austin Peterson, uh one of my, my favorite libertarians, conservative. What are you these days? I think you're still muted, brother. <laughs> there you go. Oh, you're still muted. There we go. (laughs) You're a broadcaster. (laughs) So, like conservatarian. You get some other side. There it is. (laughs) Steffi's not wiping your, he's sitting there. You're sitting there right before we go live, just straight up, just grinding down on some kind of sandwich and like a big mug of beer. I'm like, whatever day you're having, I want that kind of day. <laughs> it's a great day. Oh my God. The, the, the breakfast of champions. <laughs>
0: You oh, a, a, a libertarian Republican, right? I believe in limited yeah. government. But I don't want to conser- – I don't consider myself a conservative anything because I want change. Yeah. Know, I, uh, conservatives want to keep things as they are. I don't.
2: Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why – So. Uh, the reason I wanted to bring you on, and I love how we always go like full circle. It's like, we'll bring you on, like you come on the show to, we'll talk about one topic we both agree with, another topic we disagree on. And then when it comes to the constitutionality of points being made, I always love referring back to you because I, I can always bank on the fact that you are good faith when it comes to the constitution. You're you're not one of these people that are going to be like, well, you know, I favor the first day 1A as long as it favors my political guy. That's the one thing I do respect about you. But the, today's topic, and I'll get to Tucker Carlson later, I, I, a lot to address there, but I wanted to focus more on the educational aspect of the First Amendment. And that's why I asked you to come on the show, and I'm grateful that you did. Um, And we've been diving into the Constitution every show, just a little bit here and there, to just educate ourselves. Now, the First Amendment, for those that don't know, and I'm not trying to insult people's intelligence here, the reason this was all brought about was the tearing down of the Satanist, um, the Satan shrine in the Capitol building in Iowa. And I don't agree with Satanism. I, I don't support it. But I am not going to sit here and pretend like I cannot sit there and advocate for somebody's rights, even though I disagree with their religious beliefs on that. So, the First Amendment, and this is coming from the Cornell Institute, is the First Amendment guarantees freedoms concerning religion, expression, assembly, and the right to petition. It forbids Congress from both promoting one religion over others and also restricting an individual's religious practice. It guarantees freedom of expression by prohibiting Congress from restricting the press or the rights of individuals to speak freely. It also guarantees the right of citizens to assemble peacefully and to petition their government and the first amendment reads as follows that was a breakdown of it congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting for free exercise thereof or abridge abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances that is the first amendment austin take it from here in regards to the topic of conversation
0: so i think probably the most interesting part of this discussion is the question of what we consider an establishment of religion. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, and and to some extent we do have an establishment of religion in the sense that in order to be considered an established religion, you have to petition the government in order to achieve nonprofit status. Mm -hmm. And therefore any donations that are made are, you know, tax deductible, right? They're considered you're a nonprofit. So in, in, and if we look at the the first church of Satan, you said you don't support Satanism. Well, you know, Satanists don't actually support Satanism either, because mm. because as we know, they're not really worshiping Satan or worshiping anything. They're mm. really just there as a sort of uh, troll. Well, well, for, well, first of all, as a you know, mm-hmm. on the tax side of things, I'm all for less money going to the government. So yeah,
1: you yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. in in nineteen in nineteen eighty seven the uh, Church of Satan under under Anton LaVey, the founder of the Satanic Temple, um, was incorporated as an official religion, a nonprofit in the United States, uh, and therefore they have certain legal protections that you wouldn't have if you were not incorporated formally under the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. So one question, you know, we might want to have. And, and I know that people are going to have a, a, a wide variety of opinions on these. And I think people can honestly hold sincere opinions on this one way or another is a question of, you know, should the United States be granting tax status tax statuses and choosing one religion over another to some extent? Because that is going on. Mm-hmm. Right? They and that's can what say, Jefferson
2: was wholly against.
0: Yeah. So so like, for example, there have been people who want to start a religion based around marijuana. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's kind of silly, but it's it was a great way for a lot of libertarians from the 1970s until today to be able to avoid taxes and to do, you know, to worship cannabis and to, you know, there's all kinds of weird religions out there. But, you know, like Han Solo said, like, you know, hokey religions and ancient myths are no good are are not as good as a good blaster by your side, kid. (laughs) Right. I'm 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 a skeptical type person. I'm secular. I'm not I'm explicitly non-religious um and so and so since i look at the world from a a secular worldview right that colors my beliefs and my opinions of like the role of government in when it comes to the to religion Mm -hmm. i believe very firmly in what thomas jefferson said when he wrote his letter to the danbury baptists where originates the phrase the separation of church and state he Said specifically to the Danbury Baptists that they would build up a wall of separation. But even, I think, even more, what would probably give the religious people the most solace was that he stated that he thought that both church and state would be more pure the more that they are separate. In Mm -hmm. other words, I think that one of the reasons why religion has flourished in the United States as opposed to Europe or, you know, like, or as opposed to the United Kingdom or in Russia or places like that, I think that. The separation of church and state has allowed for the flourishing of religion in the United States. So I would say that, um, you know, I I very much identify with Jefferson's view of a separation of church and state. We don't necessarily have that. And without going into mm-hmm. to too long of a rant on this, John, I will say that and you no, probably feel free. I, I
2: think I think you should if you if you want to go in depth, I, I suggest because this is educational. I, okay. I will go in so, depth on this because people need to learn. People need to know okay. this. Okay,
0: so so the original constitution did not allow for an establishment of religion on the federal government side of things, but that didn't prevent the states from establishing their own religions. There, you know, there were there were states like Pennsylvania and others that had battles over that, you know, not actual like fisticuffs, but fights over whether or not there should be a proper, you know, Lutheran or Pentecostal, Mm. uh, religions that would actually be their official state religions. And it wasn't until the, you know, the civil war and post civil war that we started to incorporate the bill of rights, the federal of the federal constitution into the States. So in other words, the First Amendment didn't apply to the states. The Second Amendment didn't apply to the states. If states wanted to take away gun rights, they could. If they wanted to establish a religion, they could. If they wanted to quarter soldiers mm-hmm. in their homes, they could, right? If they wanted to take away your Fourth Amendment rights, they could. So cruel and unusual punishment, fine, right? So so that became a problem uh, because people were realizing, well – What is the whole point of freedom of religion or the point of having a Second Amendment if the state can just take away our Mm -hmm. rights, if the state can can just take away our religious freedom? So to some extent, the Bill of Rights have been imposed uh, uh, on the states via what we call the incorporation doctrine. So in other words, the Bill of Rights has been incorporated into the states, and out of the first ten amendments of the Bill of Rights, I think like – and don't quote me on this. It's like seven out of ten or eight out of ten of the Bill of Rights have been – have been incorporated into the states. So that's a long way of saying that. It used to be that if there, one, there was, if somebody wanted to establish a state-based religion, you could do so on the state level. Mm-hmm. That is no longer the case. Because of the First Amendment's incorporation into the state. So now the the Bill of Rights applies to the states. Mm -hmm. Not only can the federal government not establish a religion, Mm -hmm. states are not allowed to establish religion. I want to hit the first
2: point right there that you just made, the establishment of a religion. And this is what a lot of people were countering me with on Twitter was that the Satanism, whatever you want to call it, is not an actual religion. And my response is like, I don't think you're understanding what I'm trying to say here is that the government should have no role in the establishment of a free society's religion. If you and me want to get together and create a religion on constitution and say we're going to build a religion around this, the government has no right to say you can't do that. Nobody has the right to tell you you can't believe that. And then if you want to file for a tax exemption status, I think that should be blessed off of no matter what. It's like, if this is what I want to do, it's a free country. I can worship as I see fit. But I think where people get hung up is the idea of those that want to worship as they see fit, but not the God or the pathway that they deem to be um, deserving of being called a religion. That's not the government's role. That's the point that I keep trying to make to people. It's like, look, I don't agree with Satan worship. I don't agree with any of this. But it's still... When you sit there and say, well, the government doesn't recognize that what you are doing now is giving more power to the government over a free people under the guise of saying, save us from the Satanism. It's like we've got to be very careful there, because when you start running to the government to fix these problems or to come in there and squash what you don't like, what's to stop them from doing the same thing to you and your religion?
0: No, it's true. There's actually there's a religion. Did you know this? That uh, worships (laughs) AR-15s.
2: In I the United don't, States. I don't doubt it. I, that sounds about American. That sounds about American.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's, it's called it the called? Rod of Iron. Yeah, the Rod of Iron Ministries, <laughs> and yeah, the, and one of the guys was a January 6er
1: Oh God.
0: Young Jin Sean Moon worships AR-15s, and he bought a forty-acre compound in Texas for their Patriots. They're kind of a, they're they're an actual like MAGA cult.
2: Like a militia, um, MAGA militia
0: bag of militia yeah yeah mm. it's, it's like for patriots and stuff like that but i mean it's yeah. it's it's very funny stuff but i mean you know they've they've got their tax you know deductible status and and they move on but when it comes to satan you know they, these are people the one of the arguments that i heard people say is they said well he's since they're not actually religious mm. they should not be granted the kinds of protections that religious people should be uh afforded and so i i got to thinking about that for a minute because you know at first i was kind of like that's interesting." So. The, So their argument is that you don't get religious liberty protections if you're not religious. And it took me about a day to come up with a pretty good response to that. But then then when I thought about it, I was like, if you're mute, right, if you're not able to speak, do you still have First Amendment protections?
2: Of course. Of course, yeah.
0: Of course you do. Just because you you can't speak doesn't mean that you don't have – free speech rights so you can mm-hmm. still express freedom of speech in many ways right mm-hmm. that aren't just by speaking so i think it's the same way when it comes to religious liberty religious liberty isn't just about worshiping it isn't just about expressing a religious point of view it it can also be making the decision not to an expre- express a religious point of view one of the one of the things about freedom of speech is that it's not just that you have freedom of speech to say what you want. It's also about not being compelled to speak Mm -hmm. if you don't want to, which is why people, you know, can plead the fifth amendment, right? Like Dave Chappelle, I plead the fifth, right? Your, 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 your first amendment protections are that you are not (laughs) compelled to speak. So then if you are non-religious, that's making a decision, right? Not making a decision is still making a decision so that if you are, if you are not religious by actively choosing not to practice religion, that is a religious liberty, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so therefore the First Amendment still applies. The question really here is: is at what point do you know? W- at what point are our conservatives, or maybe Christian nationalists, is what we're really talking about here? Are go- are they going to continue to allow themselves to be goaded into mm-hmm. this kind of behavior? Um, because, you know, from a tactical perspective, they've given the, uh, you know, atheist communists who th- that's really who these people are, many of them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't identify with these people, the satanic church or anything like that. The only thing that we have in common is just that we are uh, secular. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, they're both, they're all, you know, mostly atheist, you know, communist pieces of shit.
2: Well, to go back um, to your other point, though, you talked about how, um, you know, receiving taxes of status if you're religious enough. My instant, instant thought to that is like, well, who's the arbiter of that? Who determines whether you're religious enough to receive that? Like, that's another one of those things of like, so now you're saying the government, uh, a representative of the people, by the people now get to tell free people what they think qualifies as being religious enough. Again, yeah. I, 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 you know, I can't agree with that to sit there and give an elected group of people that, and, you know, and I, I want to add in this, a lot of these people are of the mindset that rights are God given. Rights are God given. I agree with that. I agree with that to an extent. But the point that people kind of miss on this one is that if if rights are God-given, then once they're given, they can be taken away. Who's going to take rights away? It's not going to be God. God gave you those rights. God doesn't do things like that. He doesn't take and give. So it's going to be man. Man will attempt to take rights. Therefore, man has to protect said rights. So when people sit there and say that I believe in universal rights given by God— well, then if God gives the rights, is he being selective to who he gives or whom he gives the rights to? And the answer to that is absolutely not. God doesn't play that. It's, it's one of those of like, he gives it to everybody. Now we can even make the argument of, okay, let's, let's move God out of the equation for those that are secular and they're believing. But so then rights are inalienable to us. The government has no right to take from you or to show favoritism in any fashion. So a lot of these people that are, are, are professing Christianity, and I'm not trying to attack them here, I'm just trying to get them to understand my reasoning, my, my mindset here, is that if rights are inalienable, if they're God-given, but then someone wants to practice their right of worship, regardless of what it is they're worshiping at, worshiping and you say, no, because I don't agree with the method or who it is that you're worshiping, then you don't believe that rights are universal. You believe in taking away rights from people you don't agree with. That to me is a very, very slippery slope because at one point in England under Henry VIII, uh, if you were a Catholic, one day you were okay. And then if you were a Lutheran the next day, you were okay too, or they could burn you at any given moment. And it was a, a taking and giving. I, I can't agree, and that's the whole reason the premise behind America, why America was found, was out of religious prosecution. So how can we come back and fast forward to 2023 and say I don't believe those people should be able to worship as that or that way because I don't agree with how they're doing it or I don't agree with what they're worshiping.
0: So guess guess which um, which government agency determines if you are officially
2: a religion? I'm gonna guess the IRS because taxes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, a bunch it's of accountant guys- nerds up there just type it away. They're like, well, I don't know if I realize it. it's not your. It's not your call. It's not your call right. at all.
0: Yeah, yeah, unbelievable, right? So it's the IRS that you have to seek tax exempt status for <laughs>
2: under
0: under Section five hundred one C three of the Internal Revenue uh, Code. You have to meet certain st- uh, requirements. You have to be organized and operated exclusively for religious, educational. Charitable or other specified purposes. So here's the thing: uh-huh. underneath those requirements, right, the Church of Satan met those requirements mm-hmm. without a problem. So, it, you know, the question: if you want to change the law, you'd have to change the law, right? But, you know, I think the spirit of the law is a problem too. The Constitution still stands in your way.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and, and you can be denied uh, official status of a religion, right? So if you, if you, if your stated purpose and activities do not primarily serve like, you know, charity or education, then you could be denied. If you engage in partisan political activities, if your church endorses political candidates, Mm -hmm. that can actually lead to a denial or a revocation of your tax-exempt status. So that's interesting because that would seem to me to be a violation of free speech, Mm -hmm. right? So if you you can lose your your tax-exempt status if you engage in politics, but churches do that all the time, mm-hmm. right? How many churches came out, church pastors come out, endorse Donald Trump or to endorse some other Republican candidate, whatever. Yeah. I mean, in, in theory, they could lose their tax exempt status for that. Right. And then, and then another thing that could help make it. So you lose your tax exempt status is if there is excessive private benefit. In other words, if Benny Hinn is out there on his mission tour and he's making way too much money privately, then it's not, he could lose his tax exempt status. They never do. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And then of course, if you, you know, fill out your form wrong or something like that, that's another thing. Right. So, you know, I, I like your, your, uh, Torella Coor uh, commenter. She says, I think I'd trust the Satan people over Scientology. Good point. Good <laughs>
1: point.
0: Right. I mean like, but that's, that's an establishment of religion. I mean, I, you know, should the,
1: uh,
0: ask the Christian nationalists to think that the, that Scientologists should lose their, Official religion status. I mean, maybe they'd say yes, right? But I mean, would it? Would it? Would anybody have knocked down the, um, you know, some, you know, ship or boat like symbol that if they put that in the state capital? The question is, is if if you're going to have a religious display inside a government building, you either have to have everybody be allowed yep. who's you know at least officially designated, or nobody to be allowed. And you know what? I prefer
2: nobody. nobody. I think, oh yeah, because nobody is what favors everybody, and people just don't see that. It, it goes back to the, the other conversation I want to get into is the common, most common response I get is that we were we as a country were founded on Christian-based morals and laws and things such as that. That's I don't com- deny that. That that's a common response that I get, and I don't deny it either, of course. But it's also one of those things that you've got to understand the nuance or the spirit, like you said, of the Constitution. It's to say that in a lot of these religions, there are multiple common denominators they all share in regards to murder, uh, the sacred the sacredness of the 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 name of the god, whatever the case may be. There, there's various different examples you can give on something like this, but it's also saying that look, we do have a founding set of principles that kind of guide us in a good moral way, a good moral direction. So you're going to have to have that to a degree to at least have a good functioning, respectful society, free society. But the other part is there comes a line in the sand on that though. And this is my understanding. There comes a line in the sand of that to where, like I said, even the Jeffersonian types believe it's like there has to come a degree to where the government cannot favor certain religions. For example, the church of England was still one of the most favored religions in the new America, And Jefferson saw this. Many people saw this. And then you had Calvinists. You had different variations of Christianity that were not receiving the benefits the Church of England was. And Jefferson was just kind of like, this isn't right. This is not how it should be. And then Virginia passed their own law. It was a religious freedom law that basically said there could be no favoritism shown towards any individual religion by the state. So it's kind of like, I agree that we are founded on Christian principles and values. It's like, but those same values should not be forced on the people. For example, the Ten Commandments, how many of those are actual law? Not many
0: well and and also you get into and I don't you know I don't want to not my circus not my monkeys to some extent but mm-hmm. in this discussion about like you know it was founded on christian principles well which denomination of christianity yeah, right exactly. so like you know uh, people were were saying because I was saying the other day that you know christian nationalism is really kind of just uh, you know, socialism for white people to some extent, right? It's right, it, it, let's let's hear just, this. It, this is it, interesting. It's okay. Authori- well, they, it becomes this. It's it's very authoritarian. It can be, um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's very. There authoritarian. are Christian
2: nationalists that aren't that I, I do know. Some it's like you know I believe that we are Christians, but I don't want that religion forced on people. Are, it's rare. They're rare. There are Christian yeah.
0: nationalists who have have more libertarian opinions, like Jenna Ellis and others. Mm. I don't see them as the majority, but I no, could be yeah. wrong. I, I would love to be wrong about that. And mm-hmm. please prove prove me prove me wrong. I'd love to be wrong about that. I can't on um, that
2: one, I agree. So,
0: so because it's like the question, you know, is the Pope a Christian? Right. And I and you'll so you'll say, because people will say, Well, they're not a real Christian, but which you know, if the Pope is not Christian, I mean, for goodness sake, but then they'll say I'll say you know, people will say, We need to have a Christian we need to have a nation that's led by Christians. Well, Joe Biden is the president of the United States. He's a Catholic, right? Yeah. Well, that's not a real Christian. And so you see, you have to understand that, like, if you all can't even agree on what is a real Christian or what is not, yeah. how can you say we are a Christian nation? Well, which denomination? And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, like, the the last thing that we want to get into is a situation just like the English Civil War where it was Protestants versus Catholics and all that, mm-hmm. right? And remember, in the United States, this was a tension, uh, you know, with Irish Catholics migrating to the United States where they were very distrustful uh, of Catholicism coming to the United States or the yeah. fear of, well, and, and Protestantism, you know, uh, while it may have uh, some authoritarian roots and branches to it to some extent. It did not like the imperialism of Catholicism. It did not like—it It saw Catholicism as tied to European imperialism, and to mm. an extent that was correct. Yeah. And so there, there were fears that when John F. Kennedy would become president of the United States, mm-hmm. that the Vatican would essentially have control over the United States. And I think that, that those fears were largely unfounded, right? But the problem, of course, lies in— if Christians can't all even agree amongst themselves, then how can they agree to run a nation underneath their own principles, which is why it is better that we be explicitly governed under a secular constitution that allows for religious liberty for all branches and all sects. George uh, George Washington's letter to the Jewish congregation of uh, wrote Newport, Rhode Island, um, during the foundation uh, of the American Republic is was one of more eye-opening um, insights into some of the uh, religious thoughts of the founding fathers. When he talks about, you know, the religious liberties that would be granted to the the Hebrews, and when he said that, you know, everyone would be able to live underneath their own fig or their own branch, and to do so with peace, because of course he was aware of the pogroms and of the you know the 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 push uh, the the anti-Semitism of Europe, and be, and he believed that the Jews would be able to live and to flourish here in the United States, and to sh- and to practice their religion without the danger and fears that he rightly predicted, of course, with the rise of Adolf Hitler in Europe and the and the destruction of the Jewish people, A- and you know the Jewish people have still not recovered from the Holocaust. The numbers of pre-World War II. Europe. They still have not, you know, replenished their numbers from those losses. And and so the Founding Fathers were keenly aware of all of the different sects and, mm-hmm. and the problems and, and the um the tensions between the different varying sects. Mm-hmm. And they managed to, they they knew that the, every every religious organization in the American colonies at the time would never support the American Constitution that they knew had to go to the states to be ratified. And of course, the majority of people being religious, if they thought that there was any chance that there might be some establishment of religion, the American Constitution would have never been ratified amongst exactly. the, the colonies at that time. So the American Revolution happens. The Founding Fathers... Um, are dealing with the Articles of Confederation and they realize that something new has to happen. They need need a constitution, but they know that the Mm -hmm. constitution, in order for the consent of the governed Mm -hmm. to get some buy-in, they have to write letters to the religious congregations. Thomas Jefferson writes to the Danbury Baptists, says we'll have a separation of church and state, Uh, George Washington writes to the Hebrew congregation of Newport, Rhode Island, says we will have a separation of church and state, doesn't use those words exactly, but that the the Hebrew people would have nothing to fear in the United States from this new government that there would be any loss of their religious liberty. Push pause on that real quick. Push pause. Hold
2: that thought. I want to go back to, I, I want people to understand that after the revolution of 1776, we did not automatically have a constitution. You talked about the Articles of Confederation. We could talk about the Federalist Papers. Can you go into depth on that one for me, please? Because I want people to understand the process it took. Like, even though we won our independence, we didn't just say, boom, out pops a new country. And here's the Bill of Rights. Here's this. This took a list, like, what, 10 years?
0: yes so the um, after the drafting of the Articles of Confederation the states ran into many problems with not only commerce but with uh, public uh, public disorder because um, if you've ever heard the 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 group of the group the Sons of Liberty mm-hmm. there were Metal um, salad, there, yeah yeah they, <laughs> uh, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, so the original Sons of Liberty would would frequently do raids up and down the East Coast, and you know uh, they would overthrow local governments and set up their own laws, and it was like no one could stop them. And there was a problem with commerce because if you wanted to ship a barrel of whiskey from Manhattan to Hoboken, New Jersey, well, if the two states are separate, then they could impose tariffs – uh, and fees on one another for you to travel. If you wanted to take, you know, essentially the kind of tariffs that we impose on China, states were imposing on one another. And so that's where the Commerce Clause of the Constitution came from because they, they were, they, what politicians today have twisted and said, give, we've given the government the power to regulate commerce. The founding fathers, there were different definitions of ter- terms back in the days was they, the Commerce Clause was to make commerce regular. In other words, when they said to give the power Congress the power to regulate commerce, it wasn't because they wanted to give Congress the, the power to regulate everything under the sun. It was because they wanted to ensure that, that states would not I- initiate um, barriers to trade between the many states. This is why they wanted the Constitution, because they wanted to bring Alexander Hamilton and the Federalists wanted to bring these colonies closer together so that we could cooperate and see one another more as countrymen rather than of uh, as um,
2: I don't think people understand that aspect as far as the individual states like Mm -hmm. it was kind of like one of those things that I think when people grow up they hear certain phrases you know these United States. When we were first born, we weren't united. It was individual states acting on their own accord before this constitution, like you just perfectly described, brought us together. That's why they called the United States. Originally, it was just states. Like, we were just states. This is the new America, and these are the states. Think, like, city-states in Greece, I guess, to an extent, operating on their own, doing their own thing before finally the forefathers were like, wait a minute. We got, you know, we just birthed this new country. We're starting from scratch. We're starting over. You know, we have to actually write what this country is going to be built upon. And, you know, I just want people to understand that aspect of it, to, to see yeah. and respect the growth of our country in a span of like 10 to 15 years between the the revolution to the, the Constitution and the ratification. This took a long time. And it wasn't like our forefathers just pulled something out of their ass and said, here we go. It was like they gave this a lot of thought. This is there are such complexities to this. Because I feel like most people just don't understand the more nuanced points of, for, say, for example, the First and Second Amendments. They are very complex.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And they went through de- many different drafts, and they had mm-hmm. to do it all in in private because they knew that if it was subject to public scrutiny that you'd have every nose-picking, booger-eating you know, regular Joe Schmo trying to weigh in on this one. And so to some extent, the Constitution was a product of America's elites, uh, and a product of elitism to a large extent. You know, we live in a very populist day and age, but while the, the Constitution has some very populist aspects to it, it was written by the elites, uh, and to some extent favored the elites. Uh, you know, I just as a brief little aside, I really love when I read Alexander Hamilton's writing because whenever he says the word union, he puts it in all capital letters. So it was to try and you know, burn it into people's heads that we needed to be a union. So there was the commerce question of it, of the Constitution, why we would band together, why we'd have a Constitution. There was the religious liberty aspect of it and the Founding Fathers petitioning the many congregations amongst the many states of the different faiths, the Hebrews, the Baptists, um, the Catholics at the time. But, you know, obviously Catholicism was not very popular, actually, at the time. Right? It took a long time in the United States for Catholicism to really be uh, appreciated and to be welcomed into american society that wasn't even you know till the 1960s um, and, and so the but the founding fathers were protestant masons which was another you know interesting little conspiracy stuff to talk about here but but in remember everything that the, the founding fathers did in the constitutional convention had to go to the states to be ratified Right. Just like, you know, anytime there's a new uh, constitutional amendment, that amendment has to go to the states in order to be ratified. So if you're talking about the consent of the governed, which is what the founding fathers were aiming for, that if we were to have a government of the people, by the people and for the people that shall not perish from this earth, that's Abraham Lincoln, then it must be one. and, And if it's going to exist in perpetuity, then then it must be one that is has the consent of the people and so therefore the process of, of amending required the states to buy in. That's mm-hmm. why, now some people might call it watering it down to some extent, but it was, the Founding Fathers were not gods, right? They were not demigods. They knew that in order for them to be able to build this country they would have to make compromises.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think today the art of political compromise unfortunately only exists between Two parties who I think of them as a uniparty who really only agree on one thing, which is big government and helping themselves at the public trough. Yeah. Right. But they were the, the-, the, the founding fathers were masters at compromise that actually accommodated almost all the people in the United States. Were there people in the United States that wanted to have an establishment of religion? Yes, oh, yeah. absolutely. Sure. Alexander Hamilton wanted to have George Washington be the king of the country, right? Yeah. So there were there were always those authoritarian impulses on even even amongst the founding fathers. Oh, yeah. And once and John Adams passed the John, Alien and yeah. Sedition Acts, made it it you know illegal to criticize him or call him fat. He mm-hmm. put somebody in jail for that, right? So, so you know, they were. It was. It was really just a very brief moment of of liberty that was an experiment that they tried that they immediately turned their back on Mm -hmm. as soon as it was over. As soon as they did it, but it was really about about that master. Art of compromise that we've lost in the United States, a compromise that accommodates nearly all parties in the United States. But if we're not accommodating authoritarians in this country, I'm fine with it. The problem is is that we only seem to have achieved compromises these days on how authoritarian we can be. And that's where this, this comes full circle back to this religious liberty argument. You know, I, I think Jenna Ellis makes a pretty good point when she, she when she compares Christian nationalism. Mm-hmm. To um, Black Lives Matter, uh, mm-hmm. because because while Black Lives Matter tears down statues that are tied intrinsically to our history, mm-hmm. and so it is different than someone tearing down statues and iconography, it still is. It shows an intolerance and uh, of other points of view, because. I don't think that the guy who tore that statue down in Mississippi, he's he's probably not a retard, right? No. He's probably not a he's probably not like sub eighty IQ, again, booger eater who doesn't understand why that statue was there.
1: Mm-hmm. He
0: was he's probably a very intelligent person who thought to himself, this is a really great way for me to virtue signal to my base, raise money, and get a lot of attention and do what I'm doing. So in that sense. He's very much like Black Lives Matter. He's unprincipled, right? And he's he's doing this. He's tearing this down to virtue signal, be, because and of course, if he doesn't know if he doesn't know what the Satanic Temple was trying to accomplish with that then he really is stupid because it because all he's done is put wind in the sails of his opponents who wanted him to do that right mm-hmm. you you don't want to allow yourself to be baited into doing something like that because you play right into their hands this is the it's part unf- of, this is
2: the politics part of it this is the political back and forth yeah. part my thing yeah. was that was that um it's like, do I agree with him tearing it down? Actually, I do, but not for the same reasoning a lot of other people do. My my thing is I want the government to be forced back into the position of neutrality. I don't want favoritism shown. So it's like, look, if they're going to tear down our stuff, tear down theirs, and then put pressure on the government to say, if this this isn't going to stop. Because I, I genuinely feel we saw what BLM's gotten away with. We've seen how I feel like a lot of Christians are being attacked a lot more than I've ever seen in my entire life. And people are getting kind of tired. I'm, I'm speaking from what I'm seeing, I'm not saying that this is the truth I and mean, this is an opinion part right here, is that I feel like Christians are getting fed up with the attacks. They're getting fed up with the progressive uh, cultural Marxism that is being shoveled down everybody's throat through places like Marvel, Disney, and Christians are getting sick of it. Then the trans thing hits and then you're talking about the sexual or the, the genital mutilation of minors. And I feel Christians, by and large, are just fed up. So they're starting to lash out. And I think this is going to build momentum within the Christian nationalist movement. And in a way, I think it should, because I feel like the government is the reason that we're in this position to begin with. Had that house, had the Capitol building not allowed for any religious uh, signage or whatever the case may be, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Nobody would be upset. Nobody would be angry. We could do as we see fit. Do what you want to do on your own property. This is a Capitol building. And, I, I, and I'll, let, I'll let you answer to this one. But somebody gave me the uh, thing. of like, well, Jesus whipped the money changers. It's like, where did he whip him out of? The temple. It wasn't a state building. It was the house of God. So that's, that's a whole different argument there. It's a whole different right, right. It's a bad no, example. See, my, so.
0: my thing is, 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 I kind of like go on that same tack. It's like, if there, if there could only be one religion represented in the halls of government, Satanism is it, like that's his hope. that's
2: that's <laughs> that's about right. That's about yeah. What do you, what do you, what religion you best feel represents government? Yeah, worshiping Satan. Yeah, hundred percent. Exactly.
1: Yes, he's he's, he's he's he's
0: very at home there. That's what
2: that's where he belongs I'd heard uh, you say that before. And I was like, he ain't wrong on that. He's, he's certainly not very wrong. Funny, right? So yeah.
0: So uh, no, I mean I don't agree with the tearing of a, a, a down, but I mean what should the punishment be, right? So like Man, what one hundred fifty dollar yeah. fine for destruction yeah. of property and things like that. But I mean, again, it's like, you know what what more do Christians need, right? Like what 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 is it really that like what more do you want, right? It's like it, like uh, here's the thing: I grew up as a Christian, okay? Mm-hmm. So I and and I know the 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 history of the Christian Church from Roman times. Uh, it, and when it started as a slave religion, un, until today, and and it's uh, and and so there's a persecution complex that arose from Christianity from its early days, until today. But if America is a Christian nation and was founded as a Christian nation, I mean, you all are the majority, right? I mean, how much more power do you need here on Earth? It's it, it's like this desire to build up a kingdom here on Earth, which goes. To my mind, I mean, if you think about the story of Jesus being tempted by Satan in the mm-hmm. Bible, he <clears throat> Satan offers to Jesus to give him all the power over these earthly kingdoms, and Jesus refused. So the, and the idea that at least this is how I was raised in my Southern Baptist tradition, the idea is to be like Christ, is that you should strive to be like Christ. And of course, everybody fails and like, and, and, you know, all for all have sinned and fallen short of the floor of the glory of God. But, but this desire Mm -hmm. over the, the, of the Christian church to have power over government strikes me as anti-biblical on one hand. And also it, it, it strikes me as anti-historical because I think it goes against what the founding fathers truly wanted. But I know where it comes from. Uh, I, I, I know I know the anxiety of feeling like you're a minority, despite being a majority, comes from the historic oppression of the Christian church um, from its earliest foundations. However, how did... Not, and not just Christianity, but I mean, some some other religions as well. I mean, Islam has always been weaponized. <clears throat> Islam Islam was actually initially created as a weapon. Mm-hmm. Christianity was created as a community to to build to to build a community amongst Roman slaves uh, in order to to worship together and to band together against their their oppressors, which were the patrician classes of Rome. And, but in but Islam was founded specifically as a weapon against Christianity and Judaism because Islam was felt the anxiety because of the rise of the power of Christians and of Jews, uh, and so in what the third century was it A.D. that that Islam was founded specifically to weaponize the Arab people against the Jews and the Christians, but Christianity was not founded as a weapon. But it has been weaponized. And yeah. when I say it's been weaponized. I think all
2: religions have been weaponized to a degree. Looking through history, it's like it's very you want know to go. When, yeah, But it's
0: very recent. It's very don't recent. Oh, you think so? Uh, yes. Well, uh, I want to go back it, the to United, the
2: other one as far as the Christians being majority. I don't, I think, and this is, I'm speaking for myself on this one. It doesn't feel like there's a majority or they have a majority hold over anything. You feel like Christians have a, an authoritarian or majority hold over the government?
0: Well, I won't I, say necessarily mis- authoritarian. A lot of a lot of Christians are libertarians or are conservatives that are not like you know weaponized Christi- Christianity. Mm-hmm. But the but if you look at, for example, here's a brief question for you, John. Yeah. Just a simple one. The in the U.S. Capitol building, in the inside the rotunda where Congress meets, is inscribed above the um, above the dais. It says, um, "In God We Trust." Right. Yeah. Should that be there?
2: Oh, I'm glad you asked this question. Uh, number one, you're an ignorant slut. Number two, <laughs> no, that's actually a very good question because I get to, uh, somebody in the chat had talked about in God we trust is printed on the dollar. I feel like this goes back into the foundation of the country on religious principles of Christianity. But with that also comes the understanding of but yet not to be forced on the people. So uh, should it be there? I would say yes, just because of the founding of our country, what it was founded upon, as far as those those sense of religious moral, morals, if you will. But I do understand the opposing viewpoint of, no, it shouldn't be there, because it does give the perception of a favoritism. But to it, that I would counter, well, then which, which religion? Because God is the same name, whether it's Allah, Elohim, Jehovah Jireh, it's uh, the same name for the...
0: Be careful. Well, no, go ahead. Fight no, no, no. Let's do it. No, no, no. I'm, is, bro, let's do, do it. Yeah. Same God, right? A lot of people disagree on that. Oh, but yeah, well, I, I yeah. don't think it should be there, and I don't okay. think it should be on our money. Well, um, why do you think you know, that, though? Because I want to
2: get the opposing well, why, opinion all, on this one. First
0: of all, why are you besmirching your God's name by associating it with one of the great evils, right? So along those that same text, I mean, like— you know, it is, that's a very
2: good point. That's actually a very good point.
0: You know, yeah, like it, okay. It's a, it's, okay. it is to me, it is a dishonor to 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 a God that that uh, that you claim that is, you know, God is love, that it's a dishonor to have. His so wouldn't forever. that
2: also be another expression or another example of the separation of church and state, a currency that is founded for a capitalistic society where it should have the separation of church and state? I, I see your point. Jesus was Darren. not a
0: big. Jesus was not a big fan of the rich guys. He was no, not no, a yeah, big fan. No. You know, you know, he was not a big. He didn't like the money changers, and he did drive them out of the temple. And I think
2: The chat's already misunderstood me. I'm not saying all gods are the same. I'm saying the name God is applicable in any other religion. We call him Jehovah. Uh, Muslims call him Allah. It's a higher being, a higher entity. I'm not saying God is. Yeah. That's not but, what I'm saying. Just, Let me clarify remember, that. But just yeah.
0: remember that that your rationalization is is that you you are willing to force people like me to go along with your religious viewpoint, despite the fact that I do not agree and I do not practice. So so. If, but where am if, I doing if,
2: that to you, though? Are you because, saying that just rhetorically, because or you, my,
0: Because my taxpayer dollars are going to pay for the upkeep of the religious. Uh, Of the religious commandment or the religious statement that is being made not only in the Capitol building, but also on the dollars, right? So I'm being forced to participate in something that I do not agree with and I do not participate with. So just so you just remember, you know, and and maybe you'll change your view on that. but, But just know you're willing to force that on me, okay? So, but mm, I think okay the important man. the important thing that we need to get to is, do you know when In God We Trust was put on our money? Do you know when In God We Trust was placed inside? Wasn't that
2: recent, like in the 50s? Yes, and
0: do you know why?
2: I'm ashamed to say I don't.
0: Well, um, after World War II, the United States... Was immediately plunged into the Cold War, mm. uh, and our great enemy. Oh, then
2: okay. Don't tell me this was to fight communism. Yes, I did not know that.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a whole huh. history of it. Actually, you, you, if you really want to enjoy, it, have some fun history, go back and look into like when In God We Trust was placed. because the, mm. there were fights. It wasn't easy. You know, it was you know which God you you know it bet, should yeah. say you know Jesus. All these things. There were a lot of interesting which God. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, and so it was, it was weaponized. So religion was weaponized in the United States, primarily Christianity Mm -hmm. as a, as a method to fight against atheist communism. Listen, there's nothing we ought to fight harder than atheist communism, right? Mm -hmm. I I much prefer Christian conservatism to atheist communism. As I say, and I say this as someone who's completely secular, I'd, I'd rather live in a Christian conservative country than an atheist communist one for sure. Mm -hmm. But that's because I'm not an economic illiterate. But the <laughs> but and and because people people like my me are allowed to live in uh, com- they, I would be killed in a communist country not for my religious views but for my other views on economics and things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But but the question is 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 why was this why did this happen to the Christian Church? Why is the Church now so profoundly political? Mm-hmm. whereas it it truly was not before this.
2: Is this all it, religions? Because when you say that, I think Catholicism. I think Pope mm-hmm. getting involved in the culture wars to a degree.
0: That, that was part of it. The 1950s to the 1960s, in terms of like the, the transition of the church, was it was also very fascinating. One of the more interesting characters, especially if you really want to get mm-hmm. into the history of Christian nationalism, is a man by the name of Father Coughlin. He was one of the very first radio uh, stars in the United States. He had a fifty million people listening to his shows and he, he was explicitly anti-Semitic. He was hmm. a big fan of Adolf Hitler until World War II broke out. And then he became less and less 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 and less um, in, in influential Uh, Obviously, because of the, you know, Uncle Hitler became less popular uh, in the United States, too. Um, But that was that was the beginning of the stirring up of religious sentiments against a a view of a separation of church and state and a push towards a uh, because Father Coffin, of course, not a fan of atheist communism. And, Mm -hmm. of course. Ever since the early 1900s, <laughs> communism had been sweeping across Europe. You know, it, it had taken over Russia, and Father Coughlin, you know, he made he made allies with Adolf Hitler because, as, and a matter of fact, his his magazine, Father Coughlin's magazine, in the United States, I, I shit you not, was called Social Justice. There's a, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm I not believe kidding. no, there's I a,
2: believe you, I believe you.
0: There's a there in the Holocaust Museum in D.C. They had a a copy of it on display, and it showed Social Justice, and underneath is Adolf Hitler doing the, you know.
1: Hey guys! You
0: know, hey! You know. I liked the way you but, did that.
1: Hey. hey guys!
0: My wife, though, I gotta give her the credit. Steffi, Steffi's the one who does it. Whenever we watch have Hitler you, documentaries, she's always like, "Hey!" Have hey,
2: you seen the producers guys. with uh, Matthew Broderick? Yes. It was like, yes. "Springtime for Hitler." I it's like, "Hell myself." <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: I'm the dictator picture. in the land. <laughs> Dude, that was so good. Can you, yes. That's the other thing. It's like, can you imagine something like that? And, and that is somewhat of a recent movie, but it wasn't made during this era of social justice. But the comedy of that, the making fun of Hitler, it's offensive to many people, but it's freaking hilarious. It's making fun of Hitler. But just the idea... If you can't make fun of
0: Hitler, God, if you can't make fun of Hitler, then uh, then we're definitely, we're screwed. But in terms of like Christian nationalism, right, getting back on the serious subject here, is that Christianity was weaponized in the 1950s. The government felt that in order to, um, in order to, I guess, collectivize Mm. the United States against communism, we sort of adopted collectivist, collectivism to a large extent yeah. in order to fight in order yes. so that the people would be unified, united against, against
2: the common enemy. And that enemy was McCarthyism. That was the whole Vietnam. Yeah. We got to oh, stop yeah. this. How many men so, died for this? And it's just, so it's so in sad God to
0: see So, so in God, we trust was placed <clears> on our money. I think it was 1956. I think it was Eisenhower. Uh, and then, it, you know, it was placed in the Capitol building. And, and so it was all, and, and for example, the person who wrote the Pledge of Allegiance was a Christian socialist by the name of Francis Bellamy. Uh, so but the original Pledge of Allegiance, you probably knew this, didn't contain the words under God. Yeah. So under God was added later mm-hmm. in or because because here's the thing and what am I really trying to say with this is that everybody, even religious people, like Christian socialists like Francis Bellamy, right, who had very authoritarian views about society, still believed in a separation of church and state. Right. But you'll have Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene and people out today who will say, I don't believe in any of this separation of church and state junk. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, well, that's not been the tradition of religious people in the United States. That's a relatively new new uh, tradition that arises out of the fascist movements that have existed in the United States that that are that are centralizers, collectivizers, they're not really conservatives in anything other than social views, mm-hmm. right? And you see now not Christian nationalism very much tied to the um, what I call national conservative movements, which is, and you've probably seen me tweet this before, but national conservatism is just Bernie Sanders, but goes to church on Sunday. They mm-hmm. replace economics with ecumenics. So this is, these are movements that have very little in common with what you and I truly believe, John, which is a limited government individualist view of society. Mm. Um, but I mean, I can understand why it happens. You know, If you're a Christian, then you're a yeah. part of a collective. I'm not inherently anti-collectivist to, to the extent that you should be able to join voluntary unions, mm. but when Christianity is collectivized to the point where you must be a mm-hmm. Christian, and we will all yeah. be Christian, and everyone must fall under our branch, well, at that point in time, I'm I'm against whatever it is that you're standing for, because in, I think yeah. individualism is truly what separates the United States from Europe. If yeah. we wanted to all be under one religion, we could go, go live in the United Kingdom. Yeah, this is what they, this is what Christian nationalism seeks to do and, and what national conservatism seeks to do. It seeks to import European conservatism into the United States. Right? It seeks to, your, it, it's called, it's Toryism, it mm-hmm. is a, and, and this, it's populism, to, we call it here in the United States, but it's really, it, it's amazing is that the populists grant such power to elites, and it's, it's, it's a view, it's a British version of conservatism mm-hmm. that is very heavily authoritarian and very anti-free market mm-hmm. and very anti-individualist. And it is uh, it is anathema to co- American conservatism. American conservatism is about God, about God, gold, guns, and girls, right? American conservatism is about bikini, American American flag bikinis, Bud Light, riding ATVs in the mud, uh, being cowboys, you know, gunfights, pew pew, right? Uh, p- private property uh, ownership and land. These are alien concepts to Europe right mm-hmm. private like property ownership private property and things like that these concepts they don't exist very much in europe because like private property they don't every all the land has already been discovered and is owned by you know five corporations in the united states you still got a shot at owning some land right mm-hmm. so american conservatism is cowboy conservatism it's individualism and it's about property rights and about about cattle and steak and beef and guns and, and it's about it's about loose living to some extent. Right. Mm. Even conservatism in the United States still love them some tits and beer. Right. Like the, <laughs> no. they 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 do. Right. And that mm. is not conservatism in the, in the UK brand. Right. That is not European conservatism where it's all stuffy and knows, yeah. you know, very, very royalist, Proper, monarchist, yeah. monarchist to, an to a degree,
2: like, to a degree, like. I I do have a lot of respect for our English allies across the sea, not necessarily for what you just described, but I do like their honor system to a degree, like the the proper gentleman. Um, But then at the same time, I do love the American savagery that we have over here to where it's just kind of like I like the mix of both worlds to where you can have the gentleman side. And then if it comes down to it, the McClintock side where we're going to be fighting in the mud. Um, I, I like the duality of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I get that. But, um, you know, I'd rather have American individualism. Oh, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. American conservatism is unique in the enti- in the whole world. Mm-hmm. There is there is nothing like American conservative, like American, like libertarianism does not really exist in Europe. Right. Yeah. Um, American oh, yeah. libertarianism is even unique compared to like South American libertarianism. But like South American, like um, like the Americas total north and south. Is really where the the only place where like almost anarchist conservatism exists, um, because most view of uh, views and ideologies of Europe are almost all authoritarian to one extent or another, mm-hmm. but here in the United States, our conservatives are not like their conservatives, right? Like. You know, if you know anything about Europe, like British members of parliament who are part of the Conservative Party, like they're for socialized medicine, Mm -hmm. right? They're not, they're against guns.
2: Bro, it feels like American conservatives are going that way of, um, Federalized health care. Trump did a thing yesterday, the day before, where he talked about we're gonna replace Obamacare with something different. And a lot of people are like, Yes, this is a good thing. And I'm like, no, it's not. One has but to look at the VA to see just what happens when the federal government involves itself into the healthcare industry. And we talk about inflated tuition, we talk about inflated healthcare. And the healthcare system is broken. Let's not even kid ourselves. But that's not from a capitalistic society. That is from government, once again, interventionism, trying to bail out the lower economic class by putting more strain on the middle economic class. And the rich, they don't care. They're Fine. So, yeah, I I agree with that 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 point.
0: Right. So, you know, European conservatives, American conservatives, very different. Right. And so this and so it's kind of this idea in in Europe, it's about um, uh, God and country. Mm -hmm. Right. Or King, you know, King and country or God and country or God and King and God and King and country. But in the United States, it's like it's our it's country, right? It's it's our country first, America first. So like this, the kind of American nationalism that arose out of American conservatism was an individualistic I, I, ideal that mm-hmm. was unique and does not exist in other places in the world, other than perhaps Argentina in <laughs> South America, right, and and a few other places in Chile and perhaps a few other places but mostly in South America uh and it doesn't it just doesn't exist like look at Canadians i saw somebody called them snow mexicans in your chat very funny yeah. um but they very much are royalist right you can mm. see how they've turned towards socialized mm. medicine they want to bring that to the united states mm-hmm. right but we should we should hold on to the american traditions that make us unique from the united kingdom from europe right we don't like I would rather the United States stay as it is and conserve what we have here, at least as it is now, Mm -hmm. rather than go towards what atheistic Europe has become, which is a highly collectivist, right, a sort of socialistic atheism, right, which, because I I do think that, and this is an elitist view of mine, which I will completely Mm -hmm. readily admit, but I do think that people probably need religion. I don't need it. But I think probably most people do need it. And if it provides people with uh, that collectivist, that that desire that they need to have a feel of community and to feel like they're a part of something greater, which I do think a lot of people feel that they need, Mm -hmm. then it's better that they have that and that they rally together in a voluntary community rather than rally together for government which is what communists and socialists would have for us better that we live in an america that is religious and that and that has but still has a freedom of religion Mm -hmm. than to live under european atheism which is socialism and statism and they were their god is they've replaced their gods with government Mm -hmm. so as long as we have religious liberty as long as we have religious liberty in the United States. But if we don't have religious liberty, then I would prefer a French Revolution. Mm-hmm. As much as I despise the French Revolution, I think freedom, I think religious liberty is worth, it's definitely worth fighting for, it's definitely worth dying for, it's definitely worth killing for. Mm-hmm. And it be, and it has been done in the past, and it might have to be done in the future.
2: I want to go back to the French Revolution. Um, go into that more for me, please. I've never heard someone make a statement like that.
0: Well, the the French Revolution was predicated in, in large part because of the corruption of the Church and the uh, the ties of of you know Louis the Fourteenth was it with uh, with the Catholic Church and the desire of the people to no longer be ruled by the priestly class mm-hmm. because without a separation of church and state, your uh, local priest was as much a political actor as was your local politician, right? And so, but like, but. You had even less input into who d- who would be your local priest, than would be than perhaps your local politician would be. Not that you really had that either, with you know the monarchy of France such as it mm-hmm. is. But one of the primary causes of the French Revolution, as much as it went off the rails, and Je- Thomas Jefferson and Thomas Paine were big supporters of the French re- mm-hmm. Revolution in the early days. And mm-hmm. Thomas Paine actually was almost killed, um, and was only saved by a clerical error um, from being guillotined while he was in France. And it obviously degenerated into blo- bloody, you know, revolution and revolt and led to the, uh, rise of, of the empire of, of Napoleon. Mm-hmm. But, but in the French revolution, the, the, uh, secular movement, the skeptics societies, which arose, turned people out of their churches. They were tired of being ruled. Listen, whether it's priests or politicians, I will not be ruled. Yeah. All right. And, and if that means that, if that means that, in order for me to get the tyrant out, I have to go into a church versus a government building, it's all the same to me. Mm-hmm. And that's what because it was. Because either way, it's
2: forced it, subjugation.
0: It, yeah. Yeah. I will not be ruled. I, I. don't care. Like I don't care what funny hat you wear on top of your head, whether it's a you know a fedora for a government official or whether it's some little pointy hat that you have that's because you're a priest or something like that. You know, like. Uh, Thomas Paine's famous <clears> quote was that man will, ne- man will never be free until the last politician is hanged by the entrails of the last priest. Mm-hmm. But you have to understand the context of the time that he was writing that in. Yeah, it was because the priests were politicians. Mm-hmm. I, I don't.
2: The church seen, had uh, far more authority. I don't think a lot of people realize that. Going back yes. to the Renaissance period, even before that, is that the Pope, kings knelt to the Pope. The Pope could yes. tell which nations to go to war with each other. Like. It was like if you were on the wrong side of the Pope, you were ostracized, and there would be no trade. Like you were pretty much like you were the enemy. So when Henry came along and said, you know, I want to bang these three different women, the Pope said, no. It was like well, I'm pulling away from the church. That through that process, it kind of birthed America to a degree. If people like wanted to follow yes. the trail line down, so it was kind of like yes. to your point, yeah. When you when you see the rebelliousness or the rebellion against again forced uh, kneeling to a specific religion. I cannot agree with that. And it's also the favoring of specific religions. And that's why I try I try and tell people it's like when you put all the when you connect all these historical dots, you'll understand what a lot of people are pushing for under the name of Christianity is actually the opposite of what we should be doing, number one, politically and also religiously. I, I don't agree with it. I believe that Jesus said, render under Caesar, what is Caesar's? This, you know, this this is the other thing I argue with a lot of Christians. It's not that I'm against fighting for what you believe or standing up for what you believe in. But we as Christians know that this world fell to Satan in the Garden of Eden. This is not God's world. It is going to fall. John prophesied on the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelations through symbolic examples, so many, of how this is going to fall. This is supposed to happen. And if it didn't, God would have to resurrect Sodom and Gomorrah and apologize to it. So we are on a specific trajectory according to Christian doctrine. And I'm kind of of the mindset of like, when I see people putting up these satanic temples, it just makes me smile because in my opinion, it's like, we're just closer to the end times. It just means we're almost, it's almost, it's almost over. But I I don't want that belief though. My belief forced on somebody else, especially another Christian. If they see it differently and they say that we should fight, I respect that. Mm-hmm. You do as you see fit. I just don't want anybody forced. I don't one, like that, especially the, from the well, government.
0: Well, here's the thing. So like, you know, I, I told you, I explained to you how, um, Christianity became weaponized, and people people were fi- started fighting against a separation of church and state in the United States in the nineteen fifties. But it wasn't like that in the nineteen forties, because one of the more interesting stories of World War II, post World War II, is after we dropped the bomb and once we had begun the occupation of Japan. You know, MacArthur becomes sort of the de facto emperor of Japan. Some of you might have um, studied that part of history but one of the most fascinating things that happened is 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 that we is that japan of course did not have a separation of church and state because hirohito was god he was yeah. Yeah. the emperor was the god and so there's this fascinating story about the the united states when we imposed our will on japan one of the most important things that we had to do was we had to separate their view of their emperor as a god from their state from their government all of the the shinto temples because japan japan is like 95% shinto yeah. um it, it all like their their temples were government buildings because there was no separation of church and state but americans in the at least up until the 1940s believed in a separation of church and state so greatly that when the japanese Church, the Shinto t- shrines, and the leaders of the church, when the leaders of the church fought started resisting the Americans from di- from being forced to divest their their temples from the um, from the government the americans said if you do not separate your church and state we will burn every temple in this country to the motherfucking ground mm. because we because and why would why would we do something like that right why would americans so vehemently work to separate a the church and state not just because of the of the awful evil war that had been perpetrated against us by the imperial japanese but because we knew the brainwashing the power that a that a unified church and state the danger that it propo- propo- that it proposed not yeah. only to the people who live mm. in that country but to the whole world that and look at look at the theocracies of the world today mm. they still <laughs> the, the most dangerous countries to the to to world peace are theocracies yep those yep. are the most dangerous countries in the in the world and i i include china in that because i see communism very much operating on a religious model but the, the you know, whether it's Iran or whether it's Saudi Arabia or whether it's you know uh, you name a country in the Middle East, right the, it is the theocracies which pose a threat not only to their own people but to the rest of the world. So so I would invite Americans who are tempted by Christian nationalism to consider that despite the push against separation of church and state, Um, uh, in the last 50 years or 60 years since the beginning of the Cold War, that you really look more to the founding traditions of the United States and why the founding fathers chose not to establish a state religion and why the Americans in World War II forced the Japanese Shinto shrines to divest and become a private corporation and to divest Hirohito of his status as a god. Because Americans deep down know that a healthy distrust, not only of centralized power in government, but a centralized power in religion, is are are all threat are threats to all of our liberties. Yeah, and 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 that's really where I think this. If you're going to have a high-minded discussion of this stupid fight over a satanic statue in Iowa, then like may you know, if this be treason, let us make the best of it, and and let's consider that. That we are all that that church and state will be more pure the more they are separate, as Jefferson said.
2: They agree, um, folks. We're going to take your questions in the chat now. If you have any questions for Austin or myself, you can feel free. You know, we have Austin here. This guy's a, a constitutional expert. So if you have any questions in regards to the topics we've discussed here, please feel free to chime in on these questions and we'll read them as we continue the discussion because I feel like there's some people in there like trying to make some points and wanting other people to see or at least uh, see them discussed. The one thing I am happy about, though, like I said at the beginning of the show, this episode, was that this tearing down of the statue has definitely spawned a lot of much needed conversations for me ultimately to try and educate more people on what the First Amendment actually is about and why it should be so, so supported. Because again... It is the protection of Christianity as to why I argue in its name. It's like I, I think the First Amendment is very important, but to sit there and say that we're going to pick and be selective with who it, whom it applies to, I cannot agree to that. Um, let's go. What's your thoughts on Patton's idea of uh, of rearming the German military and taking the roadshow to Moscow during the European theater? Austin, you're a big uh, World War II guy. What are your thoughts? Yeah,
0: I think Pat, you know, Patton really was he, Patton was a brilliant military general, but he was not, he did not have good ideas about how to organize society. Um, and you know, that's just sometimes military leaders are not always necessarily the best people to put in positions of power when it comes to civilian life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, and, uh, Eisenhower knew that actually very well. He was, he, you know, Patton was sidelined several times for some of his behavior and you know military people obviously love and lionize Patton and he did wonderful things to serve the the people the united states he was also fairly anti-semitic and was also a lot of
2: people don't know this about Patton and MacArthur you remember the uh world war one uh what was it the uh, the bonus the the bonus bonus march March. Patton and MacArthur were responsible for suppressing and killing American veterans that were there protesting Patton was a part of that and when I found that out I was like wow screw that guy
0: yeah, Patton. Yeah. Patton, I mean, Patton you know, was a. Yeah. To follow orders. He it's, was very uh,
2: authoritarian, insanely yeah, authoritarian.
0: He, exactly, exactly. And listen, our our best presidents have been some some of our best presidents, most conservative presidents, have been the ones that did not serve in the military, yeah. right? And you know, so it's it's um, you know, depending on how you feel about Abraham Lincoln's service in the Illinois militia, right, in the Black mm-hmm. Hawk Wars, right. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I I think that Patton was probably not the best person to be making decisions about how to organize post-war societies.
2: I have another question here. It says, does America need a third party comprised of constitutionalists?
0: Probably not. Um, Constitutionalists should probably work together and and maximize our utility in the Republican Party, despite how much we despise it. Um, Consider this, you know, and as somebody who ran for president as a libertarian and worked in third-party politics for a decade, Mm -hmm. um, there are some negatives to having to, to uh, multi-parliamentary democracy, multi-party democracies, right? Do we really want to be more like Europe, right? And do we really want to like, take the possibility of an empowered Green Party in the United States? Because if you think about it, we always like to say, I mean, he's considering an ideal that we have like a third party in the United States that's constitutionalist, although there is a constitution party and there is a libertarian party. So, you know, if you want to do third party stuff, there are a couple of outlets for things like that. But the problem with a third party in the United States is not only the, the institutional challenges for it, not only do the the United the American people, while they may say they want a third party, they don't vote for it and they don't support it. Um, the problem is is that once you open the door to multiple parties, most people are going to be socialists, right? Most people are going to be a socialist party and a green party. Look and at England. Probably,
2: look at the UK. Right. How many parties do they have? They have a lot of parties.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they all suck. Right. So. So to some extent, I think we probably do better to have this this system, because what happens in a two party system, despite the fact that it has lots of problems, is that it serves to moderate the extremes. Right. Because like we don't I mean, Nancy Pelosi talks shit about Alexander Cortez, like AOC has had to be has had to like moderate some of her radical positions, a lot of her socialist you know, people who be- benefactors in the beginning don't like her anymore because she's had to be much more careful and cautious. And that's because in a, in a two party system, she is going to have to answer to Nancy Pelosi. She's going to have to answer to the more moderate elements of her party. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's perils and pitfalls of third parties that sometimes it can be hard to see if you haven't, you know, worked in third party politics or considered it from the other point of view. I'm, I hate the, the two party system to, yeah you know, as much as anybody else. But there are criticisms of their multi-party democracies as well.
2: If you say religion and state should be completely separated, what should law be based on if not Judeo-Christian morals? This comes to us from Caleb TM 28 in the rumble chat.
0: It's a great question, and and certainly I think Judeo-Christian morality has a lot to offer. But let's not forget Judeo-Christian, like it's illegal to um, to follow the biblical law in the United States currently. If like Islam, for example, they follow it to the to the letter, and it's quite barbaric. In the United States, you're not allowed to practice uh, Christianity or Judaism to its fullest extent. Um, Christianity, as it's written entirely, if you were to follow the laws, it's written entirely in the Bible, is you'd be committing, you know, multiple crimes, um, and so and so. You know, Christian Judeo-Christian philosophy has largely been blunted by the Enlightenment. The problem with Islam is that Islam did not come into contact with any of the Enlightenment the same way that Christianity and Judaism did. You're not allowed to stone a rebellious son Mm. because he talks back to you here in the United States. You're not allowed to, you know, to participate in honor killings, right? You're not allowed to do a lot of things. Uh, You're not allowed to stone anybody here, and, you know, you could— you you can argue with me all you like about theology of, oh, it's the Old Testament versus the New Testament, but, you know, there's a lot of obscene stuff in the, in the New Testament that wouldn't fly in modern society as well. So what parts of Judeo-Christian philosophy are we really talking about, I guess, is my question on that. But, but... Um, I do think that there is a lot there to be a, a lot there that is good and has been implemented in the United States. But the question is, is, you know, if we're to be governed under anything, we have to be governed under the the law that's written, which is the Constitution. And the Constitution provides a freedom of religion for all of us. The, the question was uh, aimed. I think I'm missing a part of the question. Can you reread it?
2: The let me scroll back up it?
0: because I think I was missing one part of it.
2: Uh, Okay, so here we go. It says, if you say religion and state should be completely separated, what should law be based Uh, on, if not uh, uh, Judeo-Christian Well,
0: it should be based on morality, right? It should be based on what is morality to the largest extent that it can be. Of course, not everything that But is—people often confuse morality and legality, but whenever I like to think about the law, I like to think of what is constitutional, what is legal, and what is moral because those three don't always align yeah. right something can be illegal but constitutional something can be unconstitutional and perfectly legal something can be constitutional and immoral the the, the income tax is the 16th amendment and it's perfectly constitutional but highly immoral mm-hmm. and totally legal right so so you have to consider the differences between what is moral what is legal and what is constitutional? So those are three separate questions that you have to answer there. But I, I do believe that the law should reflect morality to its greatest extent, to the extent that it uh, it engages with what I call the harm principle, right? Do no harm, talk, take no shit, right? If you, if you know, the, to some extent, the non-aggression principle. Even though I I reject the non-aggression principle in the form that mm-hmm. libertarians have fashioned it into, but. Um, the question of morality, and this is a fascinating, fascinating discussion that I actually just came upon recently when I was reading Plato, but he called it Euthyphro's Dilemma, and I'm going to type this in your chat so you guys yeah. can under- understand this word. Y P euthyphro Euthyphro Dilemma, right there, Euthyphro's Dilemma. You can Google that, read about that. This is the debate about what is moral in regards to what God's view of like. Can't most people? They the one of the big questions people ask me, John, is how can you be good without God? Mm-hmm. Yes, because a lot if, of if people not, ask
2: the question of where does morality stem from.
0: If, if this is the this is the Euthyphro dilemma, that I, it was either Plato or Socrates. You can feel free to correct me if I'm if I'm incorrect. Sometimes I'm, I'm looking I'm
2: up a, right, Socrates. Yeah.
0: Socrates, okay. Yeah, so-
2: you're three your three Euthyphro, oh, I can't say his name. Euthyphro. Euthyphro. He's asking Euthyphro.
0: Yes, Euthyphro. So the question is, is morality. How can we know what's moral if we don't, you know, is it—so we look at this from a perspective of, is something moral because God says it's moral? Or is something moral and God tells us that it's moral? Meaning, is it already moral— God recognizes that it's moral and then gives to us the Ten Commandments and says, this is morality, right? So the, so, so the question basically is, the
2: argument is, is morality existence in and of itself or is morality only there because God says this is moral?
0: Correct. And the problem with the with the idea that something is only moral because God says it is means that He could change His mind if He wants to, right? And He could say something that's obviously that also kind of
2: contradicts the scriptures, though, because it says God doesn't change His mind because if He's perfect, what He says is going to be applicable or is going to be perfect on the first first go. I'm just, I'm I'm, I'm basing Socrates
0: Socrates obviously predates, you know, the the you know the uh, the New Testament, Mm. Uh, but. But the question of the question of morality—this is a little like turn of the phrase that I invented—but I argue that morality predates monotheism, Mm -hmm. meaning that people knew that murder was wrong before the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Before the Ten Commandments. Uh,
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I could agree. Yeah, I could agree with that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yes, people knew, but the Ten was Commandments
2: wrong. also. Yeah, oh yeah, that's a good point because that's technically when God codified the law, saying this is morally wrong, but they kind of already knew. That's actually a very right. good example. That's a very good point.
0: Right, right, right. So, so morality predates monotheism. So, in other words. We knew that something was moral or immoral before it was written down, before Mm -hmm. it was told to us, before it was handed down to us by God. So my argument is is that when it comes to Euthyphro's dilemma, if God tells us that something's moral, and it's moral because God says it is, he could say, well, stone your rebellious son, or he could tell Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac and actually do it, and that would be totally fine. But you and I... At least I think, at least I know it would definitely be wrong yeah. to kill your to murder your son yeah. because you heard a voice in your head telling you to do so. Well, thankfully, in that in the in the Bible, Abraham doesn't actually murder his son Isaac, but still kind of a dick move on God's part. Let's just say, <laughs> right? So, uh, on the on the second hand, on the second I do hand, have to
2: I do have to interject on that one, and I say I think a lot of these examples you're giving were intentional for God to use them to pass down to. The, the flock throughout the generation say, look at the level of um, devotion to me. So still I do. A, I, I get, get your point. I, But it's the ultimate test. It's, I okay. mean... Okay, yeah, I guess.
0: Dick move. Yeah. If, <laughs> if you're Isaac. If you're, it you're Isaac. It sucks for
2: Isaac, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. Exactly. exactly. Right? But, yeah. but yeah. I do yeah, feel like if you look at the story of Job, Job, whichever one want to call it, it's, yeah, you want to talk about God putting some people through some very difficult times. I think Job takes the cake on a lot of these things. But I do believe that God uses these people because he knows what's in their heart. And also to say, you're going to serve an example. It's actually a really weird kind of twisted way of an honor that God's going to select you to go through this trial, fully knowing, though, that the afterlife awaits a kingdom of heaven. I know you don't believe in that, but I'm saying from my Christian perspective. So when you pick someone like Job, and you're going to put him through this ringer of taking everything he's got to include his family, and then you're going to say, but look at the level of discipline and love and conviction, and that's going to serve throughout time to inspire Christians around the world. And I think Job definitely reaped a lot more... um, in the afterlife than he did on on Earth, but that's just where my positioning comes into that. But I do agree, kind it of a dick sucked. Move. It's I'm not going to phrase it like that. I, I mean, find it mur- disrespectful, I mean, in my God, religion. But I agree. God killed, his, agree. Whole God killed yeah. his
0: whole family. Yeah, I mean, yeah Kind yeah. of a dick I, move.
2: In, I, you know, I, yeah. in
0: the in the Hebrew Bible, God killed far more people than Satan ever did. Back to the satanic statue. Let's continue.
2: <laughs> Ooh. Now we're getting into the topic of discussion of just tally up, no, just no, tally no, no. I love this. is a very good conversation, though, because people, they, they will conflate two things here. They will talk about like, how did God, for example, they talk about like, how did God allow that school to get shot up and all those children murdered? It's like, but was that God or was that what man created that God through free will allowed him to create? And those situations arise to where it's like God saying, this is free will. I mean it could be it could be counter argued to that. I forget what the actual argument is phrased as.
0: Sure, sure. So uh So the
2: so the, morale, the up, morality the morality question.
0: <laughs> I think the argument I think I think that in if you consider Euthyphro's dilemma of Socrates right. that morality exists outside you can believe in God yeah. and God can tell us what is moral. But one but morality can be something that does not n- have to encapsulate God. And so that mm-hmm. is why I think it's perfectly possible without a full picture of Judeo-Christian principles mm-hmm. to have a law that is not specifically a
2: scriptural law. Has there ever been a civilization that has existed that did not have some form of monotheism or even oh, just any, any sure. religious conviction? You think so?
0: Yeah, Shintoism. Shintoism is not a monotheism, right? even, though the, even though, even though, even no, though the emperor was God, he was like the 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 son. Um, Shintoism is still a religious belief. Dozens though. of gods. Dozens of
2: gods. No, no. I'm sorry. I, I gave you the wrong. Not monothe. Just theism in general. In general, has there ever well, been a society or a civilization that existed that did not have some sort of belief in a higher power?
0: No, I don't. I mean, like all civilizations have had some okay. form of religion or another and all play had various parts to play in. the. So um, it, it
2: poses a very difficult uh, question then to say sure. if we believe that morality can spawn outside of religion, how mm-hmm. there's literally no proof of this.
0: I well, without being too offensive.
2: No, no, um, no, 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 you're not going to offend I, me. Go I, ahead. Go ahead.
0: I think it I think what religion does is p- sort of provide an easy bake oven. hmm. View um, of morality for mm-hmm. people, right? Most people do not sit down and read Western in Western. You know, some people will go through Western civilization in college. Most people will probably not. They're just going to touch on Plato or Socrates. They're not going to read Marcus Aurelius. Mm-hmm. They're not going to study Nicomachean Ethics, right? They're not going to read Stoicism and all this kind of stuff. Most people are not. Most people, normies, are not. But they don't want their kids to turn up to be little shits, okay? Mm-hmm. Everybody wants their kids to be moral and to make good moral decisions. I think religion is sort of like the paint by numbers way to give people a, a version of morality that can, on one hand, have it provides a powerful incentive not to commit, you know, yeah. sins, right, or yeah. crimes, right, and gives parents a way to impart morality on their children that doesn't require them to say to their kid, open your books to Marcus Aurelius, like the, the letters, right? Like today's lesson on stoicism, right? Is like, you know, holding yourself above away from, you know, from these earthly delights and pleasures. So, because most people don't have time for that shit. Ain't nobody got time for that, John. (laughs) Right. So religion, you take your kids to church once a week, they give you a book, you know, the, the kids start with a comic book version of the Bible. That's what I started with. Yeah. Then you work your way mm-hmm. up to the new international version. Then you work your way up to the King James. And then by the time you get there, you've gone through the whole program. You've got Sunday school. So I see it very much as the reason why this this is this way is because it provides people a way to import morality on their children without it being required to go through an entire Western civilization course.
2: Mm. Interesting point. Very interesting point. We've got one more question. Uh, We've been going on for almost an hour and a half. Um, The question is, where was it? Okay. Uh, AP, can anything be done to curb the massive power and influence asset management companies now have over corporate governance and culture? BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard seem nefarious.
0: Oh, boy, that is a big question. You're getting into corporatism now yeah, yeah, state Street. I mean, we are talking about corporatism. So question is what role, what what authority, what power do we really have yeah. over these corporations, right? And what is the view what is the proper role of government in regulating these corporations? right? So there's there are government contracts that these firms get, right, which maybe you can say that perhaps, government, if you wanted to rein them in, rather than to write new rules about how they should be governed and tell them how to run their business, simple defunding of many of these institutions is probably the smartest way to do it, right? Because the more money they have, simply the more power they have. So government contracts are a different one, right? But of course, we're talking about pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, public retirement systems, right? So like, here in Missouri, like part of our public <clears> retirement fund, it goes through BlackRock and State Streets and things like that. So probably what if you want to take the power back, you need to petition your state governments to divest their funds from these massive institutions. But here's the problem. The reason why state pension funds and sovereign wealth funds and the reason why – I mean, listen, there's probably people who are listening to us right now. They may not even know they're invested in BlackRock or State Street or any of these institutions. I know I have investments in these companies, Mm -hmm. right? But the reason why I haven't pulled my investments from these companies is because we know that that is a a safe and secure –
2: Less volatile, yeah.
0: Yeah, Less volatile way to do it. Like I was buying state street assets before I was ever politically aware because I saw that there that it was a safe way to, to invest my money. So, you know, the question is, is like, you know, do we want to prevent corporations from being able to buy single family homes and things like that? I don't think that that's the proper role of government, because I promise you that those powers that you grant that you do to try and take away from big corporations, big corporations are always going to write the rules they're always going to write those laws so that they'll make you'll you'll come in with the best of intentions, the Bernie Sanders of the world. Oh, we're going to regulate these. The Elizabeth Warrens of the world. We're going to regulate these corporations. And then guess who's really going to write the laws? The corporations, yeah, yeah. right? So, so the problem is 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 that is that one, the power that we give is is not it's not a involuntary power. There's an involuntary power, which is the, the government involvement in these in these products which is what BlackRock and State Street are. They provide products like to, to clients, ETFs, mutual funds, pension funds, right? This was kind of, this is, this is the question. I mean, if you're a progressive, the view of progressivism, like what is the definition of progressive? That, sci- that society should be ordered according to scientific principles. That is, the, that is the technical, literal definition of progressivism. Most people don't know that. Mm. Um, but in regards to what that means for government, that means that if we are to regulate corporations, it should be done according to scientific principles and there should be means testing. And this is how you get into econometrics. These are very complicated, very complicated questions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and the question is, what do you what outcome is it that you're really trying to achieve? Yeah. Well, the problem, of course, is that there's this thing <clears throat> called the law of unintended consequences. And if you've ever played Jenga, you can take one piece away from one side and then it'll collapse the whole the whole house of cards. Do you really want to destroy where half of the assets of privately held assets of American people are? Do you really want to destroy BlackRock or State Street and destroy the retirement the pension retirement funds, not just to state employees, but of people who have their 401ks or mutual funds invested in this? I mean, we I mean, you're you're talking about like removing a cancer from a patient, like at some point it's like you kill the patient. Yeah. Right? How do how do you do something like that? I, I wish I had a better answer for you, but that is a very complicated question.
2: I love those kinds of questions because that's Mm -hmm. when you really start learning. I do have one more question that's going to be right up your alley. This comes to us from over on Kick. This is from La Machina. Question on free speech. How far does it extend, uh, e.g. threats, doxing, national security leaks? Yeah,
0: I mean, I I think, you know, you can't, obviously you can't commit treason, right? right? You can't go, you can't take information that's national security information about you know, American citizens, and go tell terrorists where they are, so that they can go and blow them up. Right to that yeah. to that extent. So, right. But uh, but I do think you can you can shout fire in a crowded theater. I agree, especially especially if there's a fire. Right. Um. <laughs> right. But you you if you have a gun in your hand and you say I'm going to kill you, I think it's perfectly legitimate for somebody else to shoot you first. Yeah. Right. You know, and they, even if they don't, even if you're not, even if it does, if it looks like a real gun, but it's not a real gun, people have to make those kinds of things. These are messy, messy
1: mm-hmm.
0: problems that have been dealt with in multiple court cases over and over. But I think we should adopt the most expansive definition of freedom of speech that, that allows people to thrive, that doesn't directly lead to violence, right? Immediate violence, like Hey, here's SEAL Team 6, China. Here's where they live. Here's their houses. Yeah. Right? Obviously, that is, to me, a crime, right? But if it's like hey there's a fire and you know you're seeing the 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 show cabaret or something like that oh ha 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 right you know mm-hmm. i i think pretty much you should be able to to do anything provided it doesn't harm anybody else so and that's most also speech with the with else, the exception
2: yeah. of also you're not going to be free from the quant consequences of said free speech and i agree i think that you should be able to yeah. say bomb on a plane or fire it in in a theater but that does not automatically mean I don't agree with the consequences they push on you, er or go you being banned from flying, you never being allowed back into that theater. Um in other theaters to also understand that and then ban you from them. I think that's well, free should, market doing its thing.
0: You should be I mean, you talk about the consequences of your decision. You should be able to say the N word in downtown Chicago, but I don't recommend it. <laughs>
2: well no no it only depends is it a hard r or a soft or is it an a or a hard r there's a difference there if you,
0: if you don't know now you know now you know biggie small <laughs> there
2: you go austin i want to say thank you for coming on the show today it was very interesting to have these types of in-depth conversations it helps educate people's um perspectives maybe uh, the goal hopefully if you're if you're listening to the show if you're watching the show Hopefully you learned something from this. You took something away. And hopefully if you're a follower of mine or Austin's on Twitter, you'll understand why when it comes to the first amendment, we are very much absolutists on this to include the worship of Satan. I don't agree with it, but I certainly cannot cherry pick and tell other people what they are or not allowed to worship in a country that claims to be freedom for religion, and I also add in the from religion. You should not have the ability to force religion on anybody. I don't agree with that. Can I, so, can I, uh, um, yeah, can feel I free. Plug my stuff? Do your thing, brother.
0: Okay. I just want to, I first of all, I want to tell you what I told you before we had the audience here, which is that, uh, you know, I've been featured on Rumble quite about, a bit in the past few months. So we've been picking up followers over my Rumble account, which is at AP for Liberty. But, like, whenever I get followers from John's show, they're always like, the best, the most engaged, the most handsome, the most beautiful. <laughs> well, uh, but I, I appreciate you, like your audience the most because they always like participate and they're always like engaged and they're always asking great questions. So I just want to compliment your audience, not just because it's good business, but also because I really do think that you've really got a great group of people here, and I want to encourage them to check out my own show if you like what you heard from me today. Even if you disagree with me, we're probably agreeing on 90% of issues, even if we disagree on the religious stuff today. But follow me here at rumble.com slash AP for liberty. Uh, and if you really like everything that I had to say today, and you completely agree with my stuff, even on the religious stuff, all the founding fathers that I talked about today, you can get their own coffee brands at my website, which is AP for Liberty shop.com. I'll type it in the chat, but it's the AP, the number four. Oh, she got it. Stephanie, yeah, my Steph lovely one. She's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Join us on the wake up America show. It's seven to 9am central time. Stephanie will actually be on with me on Friday. She's always on on Fridays. So join us seven to 9am central time here on rumble rumble.com slash AP for Liberty and check out my shop, buy some delicious founding flavors, coffee. I actually uh, ordered some of four- your coffee. Uh, yeah, and you got the Betsy's Liberty Lullaby. How was it, John?
2: I am not gonna lie to it. I was surprised it was actually really good. I did not yeah. think it was gonna be good. The packaging was I was like, this is different, but I like it. And then when <laughs> I opened up the coffee, I was like, Hold I told Sheila I was like, Holy crap, this is actually good. So yes, good you don't, for you, you don't brother. Drink caff-
0: yeah. Do you not you don't drink caffeinated?
2: That was one I just wanted to try because I think the mark of a good coffee company is their decaf. If you oh. can get decaf right you can get caffeinated, right? So I was like, uh, I'm okay. actually genuinely impressed because it's like, okay. if I'm going to go to a restaurant, say, for example, the Mark of a great they talk about Argentina has great steaks. I was like, I'm going to go to the most hole-in-the-wall place. I'm not going to an establishment franchise. I'm going to go someplace because I feel like if it's a staple of your society, if it's a staple of your culture, the basic food preppers should be able to master this. If you talk about like pizza in Italy. So yeah. when I went to Argentina, I was not impressed with their steaks, but I was oh, impressed with their coffee. Was very I'm glad you comfort. like
0: it. I hope our listeners will try it. We do give discounts the more bags you buy. So try them all, obviously, and you'll get a discount uh, of four bags is when you hit the max, uh, the max on the discount. So get it at apforlibertyshop.com. And I hope to see some of your listeners tomorrow morning um, on the Wake Up America show, 7 a.m. Central. So thanks, John. Great conversation, man. Thanks for giving me this platform. Absolutely.
2: You too, brother. Appreciate you coming in. See you later. All right, folks, that wraps it up us for us here at the All-American Savage Show podcast. We greatly appreciate you being here today. Thank you for supporting the show. It, it does mean a lot to us. If you could, hit that subscribe button. If you liked the chat we had, you can now subscribe for, I think, like $4.99 to support the show. That helps us out quite a lot. It motivates us to keep going. You're what keeps our voices independent. You can also check out shellshockcbd.com. Check us out there and support the show. Again, we greatly appreciate all of you because again, without you, you know, we wouldn't be here. I make that, I want to make that very clear to y'all. Thank you again. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, 12 p.m. CST with Josh back in the studio. And until next time, you stay savage, America.